in the U.S. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. One of the things that I have written about uh, off and on in the course of these last few years in the community broadband space is the need to find good champions for your network, local folks who will help um, promote the network, identify potential partners, just a whole raft of things related to building awareness, building consensus for uh, the network. And these folks are not necessarily official, uh, you know, title holders. Uh, they may be just average, you know, head of your chamber of commerce or what have you, but they're the core of the marketing and the overall success of the network. These folks I like to refer to as the broadband champions. And uh, today's guest is someone who uh, uh, I was introduced to a week before last, I believe, and uh, we met up at the Broadband Community Summit in Austin, and we started talking about, you know, who carries the flag. And it was a very good analogy of, you know, what this position is all about, carrying the flag for broadband. So I said, Mark, come on the show. Let's talk about this. And so Mark Latham, who is the uh, city manager for the city of Highland, Illinois, is our guest today. And, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. So... Let's describe what maybe this ideal, you know, person who's your broadband champion, what is this person like? What, what, what's their, you know, their temperament? Are they a techie? Are they just an enthusiast who, who is behind the, the vision of broadband? How, how do you sort of, in your world, define that person? Well, I think it, it can be either uh, you know somebody that is really involved in the uh, techie side of things, but in our case, it was uh, a mixture of not only uh, uh, retired uh, individuals that were involved in you know the phone side of, of services. Uh, they were also people that were uh, small business owners. And uh, even from some of the larger uh, corporations here, along with some, uh, you know, uh, techie individuals. Mm -hmm. And and how did these folks, you know, come into your orbit? Were they folks that uh, you identified through a process, or did they kind of just come out of the woodwork as the the project moves forward? No, I, they, they were kind of at the beginning. Uh, in our case here where we're at, uh, we're kind of somewhat isolated, being a rural community just about 30 miles out of uh, the St. Louis on the Illinois side. And uh, not only did we, we were having difficulty with the local phone company in terms of uh, no redundant path into the community, and we had a couple of major phone outages that, uh, you know, the business side of things started becoming a problem. And then we had the other side of things where the, the local telecom uh, company uh, 
was uh, not putting enough emphasis, I guess, or money into the current system that would provide the necessary bandwidth that, you know, the techies and even the business community was really needing. And so, um, you know, that was all kind of come together on the fact that, um, you know, bringing people in that had an interest in looking at what we might be able to do. And as, uh, you know, it, it just goes back to, you know, evaluating, uh, sending uh, surveys out to the community, trying to find out, you know, what they feel their telecommunication, telecommunication services are and mm -hmm. where they would like to see them go. And then this grassroots group that we talked about, uh, which was a mixture of a lot of different people, um, you know, started the ball rolling on looking at, you know, what is the ideal telecommunication services for the community, and that's kind of where we're at today. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, you um, you started this project uh, when, officially? We actually uh, probably started it back in 2008, and what I mean started was basically we had a, a grassroots committee that was formed called Highland, um, Connect Highland, mm -hmm. and um, they basically were the ones that uh, started talking to uh, the business owners and talking to residents and started to get a, a little bit of a better idea about, uh, you know, what a fiber to the home system would look like, and then through that process, they basically uh, met with several different uh, engineering groups as well as people that could actually provide video service and even phone service, where the connections might be to the outside world. And they came and made a presentation to the city council, which was back in late 2008, and the city council uh, agreed to hire a consultant group, which has have to be Spectrum Engineering, to do a business uh, proposal. Mm -hmm. So they did a business plan, marketing and everything, based on you know doing some surveys, not only in the business community, but also in the residential community, came up and showed that it is a viable solution. And then in uh, 2009, we had a referendum, which uh, I think is important in this process if you're going to do it. Um, that way, it took a lot of pressure off the, uh, the political group, the council members, basically to say that you know, we had 78% were in favor of the referendum, which authorized uh, over $20 million worth of bond, electrical revenue bonds to build the system. Mm -hmm. Now, was the referendum so, mandatory there in, in, in Illinois or in your community? It is because we, we're called a non-home rule city. Okay. So it's required. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Got it. So you got 78% you got, uh, of the vote. Now, did you work hard to, to, um, to develop that level of support, or was this a fairly, I don't know, uh, easy sale, as it were, as these things go? Um, the work really came from the grassroots committee, Connect Highland. 
uh, you know, the, the uh, politics of it has to, they have to stay out of it. So all the money they raised, they raised themselves to do, you know, put the signs up and, you know, started all the public, you see in the newspaper and everything else. And they did a real good job. I'm talking about the Connect Island group. Uh, they brought in several entities um, that basically, you know, Corning had a trailer and you know, all these people come in and they they basically sit around one of the local, uh, you know, eating establishments and people would come in and get to take a look at what what does fiber to home mean? You know, mm -hmm. what does 100 megs mean? You know, because this is a different lingo when you think about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was an educational process that the group Connect Highland did along with getting the votes out um, and, you know, selling this, what we believe is good. I think, I think the big problem that for the incumbents that were here was is that the local phone company didn't even L, uh, have DSL. So the only one that you could really get broadband services was through the, uh, the local cable provider. And their sense from a community-wide standpoint was pretty low. Mm -hmm. uh, their service side was very poor. People didn't, uh, they had some connection problems. They had, there was just some problems there. And I think people were looking for something that, um, you know, was something that was under the city control Maybe the you know, people that come out and service you are not, you know, some stranger that they're people you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's local, as you know, when the '96 Telecom Act was passed, a lot of the smaller uh, telecom services were bought up by the bigger entities, and a lot of the communities lost that office area mm -hmm. where they could go down and pay their bill, or they could right. go and. They, you know, for Highland, you have to drive, you know, 10 or 12 miles to get to the local office, and people, you know, would rather have it here locally. Uh -huh. Hmm. Um, now, was the committee, the, um, the Connect Highland committee, wh who formed that, and how was it uh, structured? And to the point of today's topic, did your champions come from this group? Is this group considered your broadband champions? You know, where does the where do they fit in kind of this evolution of Connect uh, Highland? Well, they definitely were the champion. Um, you know, they were the ones that did majority of work, um, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, I remember the first meeting. There was probably twenty five people there. Mm -hmm. uh, they elected a spokesperson. His name was Jim Nickerson, and he, you know, he lived here throughout the community, so he had a good rapport with people. He had worked with the school uh, with um, multimedia type stuff, and um, you know, I mean, he he was a very good in in technical terms, and. Uh, you know, I mean, they just they kind of followed through on what they needed to do until they got to, you know, get the money to do uh, the business plan. And, you know, once the business plan was done, we ended up doing the, uh, we got the okay from the council to move forward on the referendum. And then once the referendum was passed, um, 
you know, then, then it was selling the bonds and, you know, starting construction. Mm-hmm. Did the um, did the committee, I don't know, have very uh, structured roles or were they, you know, kind of informal about it, you know? I would say it was pretty informal. I mean, they, they, they met pretty, I would say, about every two weeks. Um, they would have an agenda that they were going to do. I mean, it was... Uh, it was remarkably well organized for not anything that's you know was recognized as you know they built a website they they did things like that without any kind of funding from the city. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it was kind of uh, it was structured, but it was still kind of low keyed and and uh, in terms of how it did what it did. Um, now, if I were to sort of extrapolate beyond Highland, you know, looking at some of the other projects, um, do you consider yourselves typical in terms of how this committee structure went, you know, came about? You know, we were just together in Austin um, with, the, with lots of different communities and so forth. I mean, does it seem like people have, they develop their broadband champions in different ways, or is there some commonality in how these folks come into into being, I think I think it's probably. Um, I really believe that in order to be successful, if you're going to do something like this, and you know, there's different ways that you can do it, but I think in order to be successful at it, it, it has to come from a grassroots effort. I don't think that the flag itself has to be carried by a one of the politicians, um, because I think you know. If, again, it's if you're going to get the community sold on this, because you've got to have subscribers in order to be able to make this thing, uh, you know, moving forward. And I, I really believe that uh, you know the flag per se needs to be carried out by you know a group like this that really saw a need in the community and went through its process. And if you think about it, Craig, fiber to the home was a, a pretty new concept back in 2008. Mm-hmm. This we're is true. We were still, we were yeah, still I mean, in... you know, something that was on a lot of people's radar, and mm-hmm. it's still you know starting to grasp now with you know Google projects. But um, um, you know, I think that that uh, you know because we're very few cities right now that actually have a, you know, fiber to the home. Mm-hmm. Do you have a gig yet? Yep. When did that... Buy one? <laughs> when did you guys officially get your gig? Uh, well, we have it. We just haven't set the prices yet. Hopefully uh, the council is going to vote on that uh, a week from today. Oh, Okay. So, so you've been doing fiber, but uh, the, the gig is kind of a new um, new aspect or a new element. Right. I mean, you know, we basically thought that, you know, 100 megs, I mean, most, I would say the majority of our, I'm talking about large businesses, are probably uh, picking up anywhere to uh, 50 to 100. And, uh, you know, 100 megs is, is, and we're talking about upload and download. This is just not, you know, so 
you know, one of our, well, our largest employer that we have here, which probably is uh, roughly 700 uh, people, uh, have a 100 gig, and uh, I mean 100 meg, and they're very satisfied with that. Now, whether or not they go to 200 or go up to a gig, that's, that's up to him. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, we you talked about the there's still we're still at the beginning stage in terms of people's understanding how uh, maybe as a result of the work that uh, Connect Highland has done, how aware of the benefits of broadband do you feel your overall constituents are? You know, that's a great question. I think for the normal individual, uh, you know, I was talking to a, a lady today um, who had signed up for the services and, you know, I mean, the, trying, to, trying to explain what a 20 meg service is to the next step up is 30 megs, you know, she, she couldn't understand that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's hard for me to, to tell her what the difference is either. <laughs> From the standpoint of how fast it is, because she's only a single woman living in a, you know, her home and stuff, has one computer. But uh, you know what we try to show people that mainly is, and that's is that if you're downloading, you know, we use a, we have a lot of people use Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's probably after seven o'clock, is probably somewhere between forty and fifty percent of our actual bandwidth that's being used. And you can demonstrate how that if you're on a, a 10, 10 uh, meg uh, service to a even a 20 meg, it cuts down the amount of time it takes to download that in just, you know, seconds compared mm-hmm. to it might take you minutes. And I think that's what we're trying to get out of from that aspect of the other thing that's really been uh, very hot now that you know you have this type of service available is, is the, the new games that have coming out like uh, you know Xbox One where they play somebody over in you know somewhere else across the country here uh, or PlayStation 4. I mean that uses a lot of bandwidth. The other thing that's going to be coming out is the ultimate TV that's going to require, I have heard, 100 megs to operate. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think for the average person, they probably don't know. And I think that's one of the educational processes that we have to do better to our customers. Right. So they need to have some sort of... Uh I don't know, analogy or something that can make it uh, real um, for them. One of the things, you know, you and I were talking before uh, we went live, and you talked about this new uh, helipad slash EMS service that is going to be now uh, possible because you have the broadband network. Um, do you think that the uh, the high-profile nature of emergency services and the the level of I don't know sophistication that that broad that your network will bring to this service? Um, do you think that that high-profile position 
will make it a little bit easier for folks to understand the value? I would hope so. You know, one of one of our key points that we did when we were out, uh, you know, supporting or at least uh, showing people, you know, what a fiber to the home process would be, would be is, is, you know, we have some industries here, and most of them, I would say, all of them do worldwide business, and, um, you know, we, it's important that they have that connectivity to the outside world in a way that maybe, you know, the local group maybe can't provide. And I think one of the key points that we were trying to make when we were selling this was retain our, our current major industries that we have here because, you know, without that outside contact with that type of speed, it's easier for them just to go somewhere else where it's, it's available. And mm -hmm. so uh, retention was one of the key things that we were looking at. But the other thing that we're looking at is we feel that we, we are one of those small entities that a lot of people don't know about but have a very robust network along with we own our own power uh, distribution systems that would be very good for any kind of high-tech companies in here along with, you know, you talk about the medical side of things. You know, the uh, medical side is uh, with, um, you know, with records now being all scanned and everything else, I mean, there's no paper anymore. So the mm -hmm. use of you know, that type of high-speed uh, broadband um, is, is crucial to not only, you know, local hospitals and doctor's office, but also what you're talking about with a helicopter service. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I have talked about in different um, uh, presentations and as part of my uh, consulting process with communities is, you know, we give people the big picture of what broadband is and what it can do, but I always try to narrow down to one somewhat high-profile project that has a certain level of excitement, but it also has a clear, you know, value proposition. You know, if you do, you know, well, like your 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 helipad um, project, or in uh, Tama, you know, we talked about having a an idea accelerator that would move ideas. Uh, we would create an environment where people could take an idea and develop a business in, a, in an accelerated period of time. And the idea is that you use the one kind of high-profile thing to get people to understand. Would it be useful to say that, um, number one, that obviously, you know, that's a good strategy, but also is it a good way to maybe recruit a couple of, um, I don't know, additional broadband champions or in a tumble, we we decided we want to try to get a like a broadband ambassador so you have people similar to you know Highland Connect there are, there are a group of local folks say that are that are engaged in, in the process and all of that but we wanted to have a point person who could in in essence become the you know the the spokesperson for uh, of a sort or you know the person identified with the project is that what your the, the spokesperson for um, Highland Connect is considered, or do you think it makes sense to kind of go out and, 
you know, recruit sort of that, you know, face of the project? Well, uh, the Connect Island is basically uh, kind of dispersed after we started, uh, you know, their, their work was pretty well done. And, uh, and uh, you know, you bring up a good, good point, uh, you know, who's, who's really championship, champion this out into whether it's within the community or it's even outside in the regional or even nation, nationwide. Um, we are hopeful, as, as you mentioned, about, uh, you know, putting a, kind of an incubator uh, place together where, you know, these techies can come in and, and you know, uh, work within an, an area where they can bring their computers in or laptops or whatever they're doing mm-hmm. and talk through this thing. Now, one of the things that the city started about two years ago was an entrepreneur program where we actually take through uh, somebody has an idea, they want to, you know, get into business, and we set them up with a, uh, a group of local, some are retired, some are not retired, business owners, uh, bankers, whatever, and they sit around and they help them put together a business plan. And then once that business plan is completed, then they kind of meet with them every quarter just to see how things are going. And I think that's kind of the champion that we're hoping for through this process that would would champion something bigger. Now, we've had a couple of, uh, although we haven't triggered one, but one of the ideas that we really wanted to seek out was either a data, you know, a couple data centers. Data centers are... Are, are, are good job creators. I mean, they pay well, and they're large uh, entities. And uh, so far, we haven't, of the four that we had uh, put together, we haven't been able to snatch one up yet. But, um, you know, those along with call centers, they kind of follow mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you talked about uh, the mentors for you know those folks that you're bringing into this tech environment this tech environment that you're creating in the national survey of economic development professionals that I just uh, completed and and announced uh, last week at the conference um, one of the i'd say the biggest amount of support in terms of for programs to help move a network toward you know having an economic development impact people saying, well, there needs to be various support programs. And the kind of support program that seemed to get the most amount of support from those surveys was mentor programs. Uh, I I would say, you know, over half of the uh, survey respondents, I put that at the top of the list. You know, you got got to have the network, but, you know, someone's got to work with those entrepreneurs who are using the network to make their business successful. Yep. We have we have one company here locally that went through the entrepreneurship program that's doing extremely well. They're a software developer. Um, it looks like they're going to have to find some additional space because they're hiring some additional programmers. But, uh, you know, that's just one out of, I would say, ten that we've had here locally that's been very successful coming through the program. Mm-hmm. Our, our mentoring program is a little bit different than maybe some of the canned products that are out there. We basically don't do a one-on-one. We basically have three or four 
uh, mentors that come around this mentee, and uh, you know they don't want you to spend your whole life savings going into business when you know you're going to the possibility of failing. Mm-hmm. So you know, they have, they ask some tough questions. I mean, you know they they have some really difficult questions they ask. But the ones that have graduated and have come out are doing extremely well. Excellent, excellent. Most of them them don't, you know, have any idea how to set up a, you know, profit and loss type deal. They I mean they just don't. You know, they Mm -hmm. they they got some idea and they go out and do it and then they don't have any idea, you know, what the costs are on and everything. (laughs) it's a great learning experience, but uh, yeah, we've had our, our champion, besides the software company, has been a, a local uh, couple that we had a theater downtown that's you know over 100 years old, and mm-hmm. one of the big companies that owned it, and they decided to you know not run it anymore, and it was up for sale, and um, they you know the community really got behind it, and they ended up buying it and totally renovating it, and are doing extremely well. Mm-hmm. It filled the void, you know, that, uh, you know, you could still be a kid and go to, the, you know, movies in uh, your local community <laughs> and walk and, you know, I mean, that's just good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Let me run this, this idea past you. Um, there's becoming more attention being paid to uh, what's called hacker spaces. Basically what you described there, you get a building, it might be abandoned, run down, whatever. You, you fix it up a little bit, and you open the doors to people with, you know, laptops and ideas and, and some sort of, you know, wild, crazy vision. You provide maybe a little bit of, um, you know, coaching and assistance, but not, you know, heavy-handed directorship of that right. space. And you let these folks create what they want to create I'm starting to feel that, you know, every community that's building a broadband network should consider creating one of these spaces because the space kind of solidifies, I don't know, the value and the the concept of the network. In other words, it makes it very real. And even if you're not a techie, even if you're not going to do anything with broadband besides download Netflix, that you're able to look at that and say, okay, that's why we're doing this. This is good for the community. Do you think that, that that makes sense to try to, you know, replicate what you guys are doing across other, you know, folks, other communities that are thinking about building networks? I think it's a great idea. I really do. You know, one of, you know I'm, I'm at an age right now where, you know, in a few years I'll be retiring, but one of the things that I always ask people is, you know, when you're interviewing, what's your passion? And a lot of people can't follow what their passion in life is anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're locked up in, and, and and you know even in schools anymore. We have you know, we haven't really let kids really just dream. You know of what's lost that everything is, you know these absolute type things, and we've lost the ability, I think, to be creative and. You know, even if you don't call it a hacker's place, you call it creative room. You know, where you just you you can, you can actually create, and you know that whole passion of of really 
you know, get a fire underneath your belly that you just can't stop until you're done. I think mm-hmm. we've lost I really do believe we've lost it. I, I, I can I can see that. I mean, the we we've structured stuff so much, you know. And we've got all these tests, and we've got this way of teaching that you know. You, you probably heard the phrase, you know, teaching to the to the test, not teaching to learn, the right. to facilitate learning. And um, one of the things that the the hackerspace concept does is it just takes away all these barriers and burdens and it lets people explore, trip, fall, pull themselves back up, collaborate. I mean, just a whole slew of skills that I think we used to value very much, you know, 30, 40 years ago that we have somehow lost track of. I, I agree. And I think that's you. what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I now, mean, how, I, I, sorry, I think it would be great. Now, how do you compensate or reward those folks who volunteer, you know, those folks out there carrying the flag, being the point person, the spokesperson, so forth and so on? I mean, often these are volunteer positions in large part because there isn't enough structure and and revenue to pay a team of, you know, creative souls to promote the network. But at the same time, you need to do something. For, for folks, and, you know, sometimes I wonder, well, what exactly is that something? Like, how do you do something that's meaningful, but that is practical as well to, to reward those folks? Well, I think, I think for, for, for what you're talking about, I think it's, it's more of a, an intrinsic value. They feel a very much an accomplishment. You know, mm-hmm. you, can, you know we, we tend to uh, try to make things more on the, the, ex, the extrinsic instead of intrinsic. And I think if you talk to most of the people that serve not only the Connect Highland group, but even the people that are involved in the mentoring group right now, I mean, their satisfaction has always been that, hey, I was at the beginning of this thing, and you see the success of it. Mm-hmm. Or from a, mentoring, from a mentoring standpoint, it's, hey, you know, I, I can go to this business now, and they're up and running. They're hiring people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a good. And you have to be in this community to understand. It's it's a very close knit community, right? And I mean, they're going to pat you on the back. They're going to do. You know, they're going to come down and use your services. They're not going to go outside to use them. So there's a lot of positive things from that standpoint. Now we do on the H E or on the entrepreneurship program. Once a uh, year, we invite all the mentees and the mentors to a luncheon. We talk about the progress that has been made. We introduce the people that have graduated. We also thank, give little plaques and stuff to all the mentors. So uh, just thanking them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't cost a lot of money. Right. But it's, it's, a good, it's a good solid investment because it's hard to um, – you know, it's it's hard to to buy that kind of support and enthusiasm when you think about it. You know, you, sure. you just you just gotta you just can't do it. So, um, you know, it makes it very uh, makes it very valuable. And um, you know, I think some of the ideas that I have kicked around with folks, you know, include 
you know, maybe you do something in the paper or you make sure that the, the you know, the local paper, uh, you know, talks about the, the volunteers and what they're doing and the progress that they're making and so forth. You know, and it's something you can do maybe once every five or six months. And, um, you know, and, and it has that, again, that additional value of making people feel um, appreciated and thanked for what they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. So what other, um, you know, great applications do you see coming down the road? You know, we talked about the, you know, emergency medical services. And, you know, and for the audience, you know, I was uh, was talking to Mark before the show about them. I wrote a book, one of many, but back in the early 2000s, and where they were talking about applications that would allow uh, an ambulance at a uh, disaster area or the scene of an accident be able to link via video from that location or from that ambulance and route to the hospital and tie into a hospital ER and, in essence, have the ER with them on the road. And, you know, and that's one of the, one of the applications for you know, for broadband and, and mobility and so forth, that has always intrigued me. Um, do you have anything else in your, you know, on the near horizon that might be, you know, in that category of, you know, awesome applications that will really, you know, make a difference to the community? Well, I think they're endless, believe it or not. I mean, you know, any time that you've got, as much fiber as we've got, not only in the local community, but I'm talking about abroad. Uh, you know, we're, we're developing partnerships right now with not only one of the uh, major uh, uh, wireless uh, group that uh, is going to use part of uh, you know uh, our uh, fiber that's going to connect to a tower. Uh, we just built another 300-foot uh, communication tower for our public safety that uh, we believe will be all, I mean, it's all fiber ticked, uh, you know, all fiber brought in. So the, the ability for that network, I think, is endless. I really think it's uh, mm-hmm. else to come out uh, from that aspect of it. Who knows what the, you know, the future holds. Mm-hmm. By the way, is, is the economic development uh, role, is that part of your department or is that someone else? No, that's, uh, I share that uh, with uh, my economic uh, develop uh, and uh, director along with uh, marketing director. We share those roles. Uh-huh. Well, let me ask something. This, this also came up in... Um, Actually, at, at the summit, after I uh, gave my breakdown of some of the survey results, one of the slides that, that caught a number of people's eye was the one that talked about, um, you know, medical the medical world. In other words, broadband having some impact on a number of medical and healthcare delivery outcomes, and the importance that the survey respondents put on you know, telemedicine, telehealth as an economic development issue. What's your thinking on the potential for telemedicine, broadband-driven healthcare 
to have an economic impact on communities like yours? Well, Highland's very fortunate that the uh, the uh, local uh, hospital here, which is owned by uh, uh, Catholic Sisters out of Springfield, Illinois, they have a group of hospitals. I believe there's 13. The majority of them are in the state of Illinois, and uh, you know it's important to them. I know when we when they were building that that connectivity throughout not only the state, but, you know, they I think they already go up to uh, Wisconsin. It was important to, you know, they're downloading and feeding into some major mainframes, I assume, in, in Springfield, Illinois. But, um, you know, that type of network, a lot of this, because these are, some of them are rural hospitals like ours, mm-hmm. uh, able to get that type of technology that would be able to serve this. Now, this hospital that they just finished up uh, is probably one of the most high-tech hospitals around. Um, it's very interesting to see that when you come into a patient room and you've got a flat-screen TV sitting there, that uh, you could FaceTime with, uh, you know, your your uh, kids or whatever, and they might be in, you know, Sacramento, California, or you could FaceTime with your doctor. Or they can throw up, you know, they can throw up X-rays and showing you this is the problem we see. This is what we need to do. So it's very, very much. Uh, I've never been in a hospital like that that has that type of ability uh, from a patient arena, and then to be able to have these records being downloaded to, you know, some mainframe somewhere, and you know, the whole. I think this is one of the main reasons why they took and built a new $68 million hospital, it's a replacement hospital, based on the fact that, you know, our community was really set up very well uh, to be able to service uh, that hospital. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely there's more a... More and more is going to come along because there's a lot of acres around that hospital that I really feel good that there'll be some other major medical entities that will, you know, build around there that broadband is going to be critical to them. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that, uh, you know, I wrote a, I wrote this article a couple of weeks ago uh, for Your Own that talked about the fact that communities need to look at wireless as seriously as they look at fiber. Because even even in, in those many cases where fiber will be the driving technology, even to the doorstep, um, wireless has a significant role. And if we put the blinders on and only look at fiber, only look at fiber, that that communities run the risk of overlooking opportunities where they could deliver broadband or deliver some sort of broadband application wirelessly. And, and 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 provide some significant value to the community that might otherwise get lost if they didn't take the blinders off. Does that seem fair? Okay. That seems fair. Um, you know, one of one of the things that uh, when we did our, our marketing and 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 looking at this, since we own we own our own um, electrical system, you know, we've got to go out and read meters. And so, uh, you know, we're test piling right now a couple of areas that we're doing for smart grid, which is kind of a, 
you know, it's one of those new things to, uh, you know, control your, you know, where you can read your meters by just downloading from a computer. You can turn them off and on. You can, you can move around your thermostat. You can, you know, check everything that you want. But um, one of the, one of the things from a wireless standpoint is is that, you know, we would actually be setting up a wireless grid in the community and be able to call those meters down and then deploy through the back feed of the fiber be able to read those meters along with the communication of it. So we looked at we looked at wireless. The the problem we have in Highland is Highland's over 177 years old. Um, it's a tree USA city. And that in in most cases I would say within probably sixty five to sixty eight percent of the community wireless is just not going to work very well. Mm -hmm. So that's you know, I think the wireless scenario that we're looking at now is is as we finish out the build out in town, we've got uh, our distribution, electrical distribution is outside the city in many of the areas that would service farmers and some of the other rural customers out there and that, you know, run a fiber down to a point, a high point and just, you know, run a, a wireless up there where you know, they could take advantage of internet speech, what what mm -hmm. they really need. Right. A lot, okay. of, a lot of them are still using dial up, which is pretty much non existent. Mm hmm And you listen it was to their stories and they get very frustrated. Yeah, that's a um that's a big uh, you know, a big frustration. Okay, that came out in the the survey as well, you know, the fact that for uh, a number of these guys, folks in, in economic development, you know, they're 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 stuck in a situation where they barely have dial-up, and where they have it spotty coverage. You know, some parts of town have it, other parts don't, and you know, they're they're looking for a way out, and um, you know, and as you know, you know, you and I are on the same page on this. It's basically. Um, you just got to look for where you can leverage the different types of broadband technologies based on, you know, just a whole bunch of factors. And it's going to be different for every community. You know, there's no one formula for any of this stuff, really. So you just kind of have to have an open mind. Right, right. I mean, there's, I mean, who knows what, you know, the next five years is going to bring regarding uh, technology. And uh, you know, you just got to be opened up to looking at new ideas and and figuring out what uh, you know most cost-effective way to be able to service the the public, uh, you know, wherever you're supposed to go. Um, we are now. I mean, we've just uh, we're working on a project right now with a small community just north of us. Uh, they, it's in a local old phone exchange that actually has some fiber to the home. And they're needing video, so we're working to, through, um, you know, providing fiber up to a, a node where they connect, and you know, eventually, hopefully in a couple months here, they're going to be able to provide video to their customers because they've been providing internet and phone to them. So, just a lot of really positive things that you can do, um, you know, if you really have the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. 
I want to actually circle back around to something that you had mentioned earlier, which was, you know, I asked about what's the next, you know, big app that might be a high-profile app, and you say the, op- the options are, or the opportunities for new stuff is, is endless. Is there ever an is- a point when the potential, you know, the possibilities, you know, become so plentiful that it becomes hard to, to, to create a consistent message. You know, there was a there was a guy on the show, I don't know, several months ago, you know, and we talked about, you know, you have your, your, your broadband champions out there in the community and they're doing good stuff and they're engaging people and so forth. But you need to have some level of um, you know, uniformity of message and you also don't want to overwhelm the recipient, you know, the average person on the street uh, with too much information, right? Because they'll just—they won't be able to process it. And they'll just shut down. Um, how do you keep the, the the message consistent when you're dealing with a lot of volunteers? You know, people who are got other jobs, other responsibilities. You know, I mean, they care about this broadband stuff clearly, but at the same time, you got to kind of—you know—it's a bit of a management issue. But but how do you how do you address that? Well, much of uh, when we first actually got started, after we, you know, the Highland Communicate or the Communi- Connect Highland group kind of felt like that they did what their work was to be, which was to have a successful referendum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then formed what we call a telecom advisory board, and there are three members on that. Um, they are actually appointed by the mayor, and they meet once a month. And they are really kind of the ones that the staff itself, you know, throws out ideas, and they try to bundle in what really the message is going to be about. And uh, you know, they they recommend rates, they recommend channels, they you know take the political portion of it out of it and let them basically uh, make recommendations. And that's worked out really well. They oversee and look at kind of the financials. They they uh, suggest some ideas from a marketing standpoint. But we are doing basically from a staff standpoint, we're pretty much doing it all in-house when it comes to mm-hmm. that. So we have, hmm. a pretty okay. good idea. we have a pretty good idea about how we're actually going to, you know, send that message out not only to the public, to whatever marketing material that we're going to be sending out regionally and maybe nationally. Okay, gotcha. Um, does the uh, – do you have uh, local TV there as well as uh, – yeah. Okay. We have a local channel? Well, yes. We have a local channel, question. yes, yes, that we run, yeah. Okay. So do they see um, – a way of integrating with the the network, you know, because a lot of a lot of attention on the national level, you know, people talk about, you know, will you know networks be able to provide triple play, you know, voice and video and yada yada yada, and there are costs associated with video, all this other kind of stuff, right? And that's been a large part of the discussion about video, but it just dawned on me. Well, what about local TV? You know, does, do they get a boost? by being able to have this high-speed um, connectivity, you know, at their doorstep. 
We hope so. Uh, we're we're uh, we're hoping we're uh, the local high school used to have a media club, and um, you know they basically ran kind of the local channel, and then um, you know in Illinois they've had a lot of problems with funding. Uh, Funding local schools, and so that was one of the things that was omitted. And now they've actually started a media club, and we're hoping that they will kind of take over that local channel. Now, currently, what we're running on the local channel is a lot of history stuff about the community. Uh, you know, some of the the uh, maybe uh, things that are going to be coming up in the community. You know, festivals, things like that. And there's mm -hmm. a lot that you on a local channel that has not yet um, been explored. So we, you actually order, we actually did a request for proposals, and we didn't have anybody want to pick it up. Uh, I, I know some gentlemen that used to do it back where uh, I came from in, in Arkansas and made a lot of money selling ads on it. And so uh, you know, we just haven't had any entrepreneur that sees that as a benefit of selling, you know, local ads or, you know, you can run down that Mrs. Brown has a garage sale or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, that this broadband stuff is going to change the nature of, you know, how TV is done? I mean, when you think about it, what you and I are doing is basically a process that 10 years ago, maybe even just five years ago, we would need a studio. We would need a bunch of equipment. I need to have to, you know, get some sort of license to run a talk show, and just on and on and on. I mean, stuff that's just really expensive. Now anybody can can have a live radio show and have the benefit of it being archived and integrated with Twitter and so forth. And I look at this and I say this changes the dynamic of what radio and radio communication means. And it seems that given, you know, how most video can be digitized, if not all video can be digitized, um, that TV could go through a similar transformation where anybody can be their own TV station. I know I'm getting really far out there probably with this, and but 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 I, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think I think on the video side, things are really going to change a lot. I really believe it. Um, you know, I think the millenniums uh, are going to be using less and less of the local TV, and they're going to be, you know, watching it on their their iPad or, you know, on their laptop or whatever they're using. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it, because they can pick up any channel that they want, you know, pay for it and not have, like we have, I don't know, we have close to 400 channels, I think. And <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> And so, you know, uh, you know, some might not even be watched. I know that we we kind of monitor, you know, whether or not that channel is good enough to how many people watch it. But, um, you know, we're we're getting ready to uh, launch what they call TV Everywhere. Mm -hmm. You have an icon and you can pick it up. And I don't know, we've probably got, I don't know, 20, 25 channels that you can pick up, uh, on, you know, on your iPad or wherever you want to watch it. So... I think that's kind of the future of video. That would be interesting. Um, 
you know, it would just change because there's a lot of concern now, you know, about the, the consolidation and and there's only a few people own all the TV stations and that kind of thing that, uh, you know, the more that these community networks can get uh, pushed, you know, built out there, the more we can return TV back to being a local medium, right. you know, with local content and so forth. Yep. That, that's very interesting. So we got about three minutes left. Uh, I'm going to come back to another uh, to, to a question I asked earlier about, you know, what's the next big thing? What are you working on as far as, I don't know, just the, the, the next phase of the network? You mentioned that you have a bunch of, you have several pilots going on and so forth. In two minutes, what's a, what's a wrap of your next, or the network's next couple of steps? Well, uh, we've got, one is, is uh, we have a contract with a company called Bluebird, and they're the ones that are actually going to be providing our main, uh, uh, not only main feed, but a redundant feed into the uh, community um, that will provide, uh, you know, three or four gigs right now that that we we'll feel good about. That would be running from uh, Chicago to St. Louis, um, and we're we're probably within a couple weeks of getting that uh, completed. Um, then we're uh, getting ready from a construction standpoint. We're heading south to finish up the, uh, we got about 400 potential customers south, and then we're going to head on north um, and hopefully kind of wrap up the uh, people that live, that actually voted for it, that lived in the community, uh, that they'll be able to take advantage of the services and then we'll go out to the rural areas where we have our electrical uh, system. We have a lot of people from the outside that live in subdivisions and things like that would, would love to be able to be on. So, you know, it's, it's pretty much endless, uh, Craig, on what the system can, can bring about. The other thing we're doing is, is most of our TV stations will come from not only the local, won't be from our local satellites that we have here on campus. They're going to be coming from a super head in out of Chicago, which is another thing that we've got to complete here sometime early summer. So it's it's not something that you can stop. It's always a never-ending uh, um, process of making sure that uh, you've got a great network and uh, you know the services continue to be above anybody else. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you have your, your path fairly well scoped out. And you've had pretty good success to date, so, you know, congratulations for that. And, you know, and thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to, to talk to the audience about what you guys are doing and, you know, this topic of, of broadband champions and making sure that those folks are, you know, well taken care of and a good, you know, productive part of the the, the broadband scene because they are so critical. So thank you very much for that information. Thank you, Craig. It's been great to talk to you. And for our audience, thank you uh, once again for joining in and uh, checking us out. We'll have more shows on tap coming up uh, later this week. Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>